You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a uh, special Chuvas and Pais It's dedicated uh, to the memory of Rabbi Weiss, uh, Rabduvi's uh, older brother, who was a great personality and a very beloved person in his community, um, very connected to his family and uh, a person that gave a lot of chizuk uh, to those around him, uh, who unfortunately died uh, two years ago, much, much too young. Um, his name was uh, Yaakov Yoel Ben Noto, and uh, we've talked about him in the past, um, and I was Zilcha to know him. Um, and uh, I always had very wonderful interactions with him. And, and was, what struck me, what was so uh, great about him was because you all, you did always get uh, the straight story from him. A person of very little guile, and a person who understood things honestly and told you about them and was, and was willing to engage with you. So he should have a lichte ganeden and a schus for his, his brother's family and Really wonderful Ben Tera, uh, and a big Talmud Chacham. Ben Tera is, is an understatement. Very big Talmud Chacham. His brother and, and his children are, are now on their way. And Robbie was very close to his his nephews and his nieces, who are all on their way to becoming great people. And I know they miss him very much. Um, and his yurtzeit was which is this past Sunday. Uh, there is clearly a, a statement that is codified in the Rambam um, and it's based on the Gemara of a person who is like out of bounds. He loses his Eilam Haba. Uh, he's an Apikeris. Someone is Megalaponim B'Torah Shaloka Halacha. I don't have it up, the words up on the board. But that that is in a way the, the worst type of falsifier of Torah. Someone who actually uses Torah uses the scriptures as they are called by the in, 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 in the in the church but uses the psukim to advance a certain shita that runs against what we know is true so for example if somebody uh, takes a, a, a missionary a, a jew for jesus who takes verses out of the Torah that we think are um, um uh, out of context that would be an example of falsifying the Torah um, for a certain desire in order to get a certain point of view across a certain just to convince and 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 perhaps that person believes that which is which is really another issue the person doesn't believe it but he's using all these verses to prove his point or the way he views the Torah is in a way that we consider heretical I've talked about that on my Sunday night classes. We talked about viewing many things as allegory is not really happening. There we have this idea of fake Torah, meaning that's Megalopana Beterisha like Aloha. There, you know, and, and, and those have, it's always been understood that that might be the worst. You have a Quran, you have a different tradition, you have some other Gilgamesh. Okay. But don't take my Torah and turn it into son and turn it into a handmaiden for what you want. That's being Megala Panam Batayrishalei Kaloha. 
Um, and the word halacha doesn't necessarily mean only in Jewish law, although it's halacha and beyond. So, first of all, that is clearly something that we look askance at, and when and 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 and, and we classify people who do this as people who lose their stake in the world to come. And it's very hard to hear, but that, but that's not what I'm going to emphasize. What I want to emphasize is where you don't have a um, uh, an axe to grind. You're not willfully falsifying because you're using the, the power of what Torah does in people's minds to push your agenda. Or, you know, but what you're doing is lying because you had to, because you felt you needed to, because the situation demanded it. Maybe because it was even the threat of your own life. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to say something you know isn't true? Now, many times, and those of you that are listening here, and hopefully people that will be listening later as well know, that I'm very um, open about what I don't know. I'm always happy to hear a question and say, I'm not sure about that. And, or sometimes even say, are you able to give us like an, an example, like just a, a small real world example of, okay. So I'm going to actually get to it. Yeah. I'm going to get to it right now. Uh, okay. Mark, uh, not, not the part, not the, not like a Christian missionary part that you, that you know of, right. Exactly. Uh, you don't need any examples from Isaiah 11 or anything like that, right? Right, right, right. exactly. No, I'm, I'm talking about exactly what you're talking about. I was just trying to think of a, right, right. in so my I'm, mind. Right. So, so, so I'm going to actually get to that right now. Now, it's one thing to say, I have this piece of the Talmud. I have this Mishnah. I have this statement from the Rambam, whatever it is, and I'm not sure what it means. It sounds like he's saying this, and that's pretty wild. It could be meaning this, though. And so I, I'm open. I'm not that clearly, even though one of the things I might suggest and, and I'm going to talk about this in a couple of minutes, like catering it to your audience. Um, you know, I, I, I can give you uh, an, ex- you know, what? I, I, I can give you, I'll start with that example, which I think is an easy one. Then I'm going to go to the one that actually is, 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 is the heart of the story. Let me go with an easy example. Rav Zilberstein um, has a Shiloh. So here's an easy one. Um, and it sounds like it actually did happen. Uh, there was a, he says there was a Catholic doctor who was quite religious and he had heard about uh, a Rashi in, 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 in Parshas Beshalach based on a Mechilta when it talked about where the, um, you know, uh, we know that the, the Mitzrim, uh, mounted an incredible offensive to kill the Jews at the Amsuf. And they had horses and chariots. Where they come from? Doesn't the Torah say that they were all wiped out? Or, no, they weren't. Because we know that the Yorei Dvar Hashem, the people that feared God during Makas Barad and other times, shunted their animals inside. So Chazal say, and that's where the horses came from. So Chazal say, Rav Shumrei Chai says, you see from there, that they were, who, who was the one that donated the horses to go get the Jews back and bring them and kill them, perhaps? It was the Yorei Dvar Hashem, the best of them, the ones that feared God. So Rabbi Shemim Yochai said, Kosher Mitzrim Harog. The best Mitzri is a dead Mitzri. 
this doctor heard about this and he decided that, you know what? He said, I'm not treating Jews. That, that's, your, that's what your Torah says. That's in your rabbis. That's, that's in your Rashi. That's in your Medrash. The question was, can you tell him? That's not really what it means. Can you tell him that, no, it doesn't really mean that. You know, you're taking it out of context. Um, the real thing is, you know, because otherwise, if this doctor who is operating and, and still has a job in Israel, wherever it is, and a Jew comes to him, he's going to say, a Jew? You know, I, you know the, the, again, I, 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 it, it, the story seems a little far-fetched, but it sounds, it, it, does, it does have a ring of truth to it. So would you be would you be able to sort of like say a different shot? So I happen to know about this piece of uh, of the Talmud and of the Machilta and from the Rashi that there has been a lot of attempts to re to 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 to, to describe it differently. The it, it, the, uh, the truth is is that the Sma Rabbi uh, Shua Falk. Quoting uh, the Shevet Yehuda, which is from the sixth, uh, I think the early 16th century, Yehuda de Varga says that Tov Shebemitzrim or Tov Shebegoyim means it's good that they have this aspect. Harog, that what they do is they are very strong on capital punishment. That they, it doesn't mean kill them, that they kill others. Because that keeps a, 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 a good law and order society. And they don't try to get people off the hook. Now that is mentioned. Now, Kivalevich is going to tell you that is ap- apologia of the greatest amount. That is not what the Medrash means, and it doesn't mean in context. Now, um, however, Reb Zilberstein said, he poskin in this case, the son-in-law of Rebbe Yoshev, you could tell him that's what the the Chazal mean. Now, why can you say that? Because he says it's MS. Because once it's in our tradition, we find it there, and it doesn't necessarily undercut the other truths. Now, here's an example Taken from uh, one of the 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 the, the halachas farim, that is, is 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 meant. There are others similar to that mark, where you have um, statements like we're going to talk about about not returning, um, not returning the uh, lost items of a non-Jew, and we're going to see even worse coming up. Are you able to explain them in some way that is? more palatable. Now, Rav Zilberstein says, well, I found it in this Sefer, one of the most, one of the most important poskim says this, so now I can say that too. And that would be an example of basically not telling the truth, but not necessarily saying, you know, they're, they're, like saying a partial truth in order that the doctor should go back and, and, and not but why can't we just say the midstream of that time were no good? That's another. That's another way you could explain it. The, the problem is, is that if the, if that doctor did his research, he would find that there are other texts that say goyim, nochrim, right? Um, and and um, so 
this is just an example, Sheila. And you're right. You, do we have a right to sort of um, bend? And, and, and we don't necessarily believe it, but we better say it. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is, is that there's going to be Ava. There's going to be this idea of, 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 of retaliation. Yeah. Right. I hear you. But how, how about the idea, you know, with this expression, um, I heard that um, um, in the past, uh, you know, the idea that a, a good one's a dead one, you know, that kind of right. thing. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what this, between me and you, and I'm saying it here, and it's on the podcast, that is what Chazal meant. Now, Chazal meant it. Um, you know, uh, they can't hurt you anymore, so they're good. But, but while they're alive, they're birds. <laughs> <laughs> and they're out to get you. You know, right? But again, this would be an ex- so w- w- This is one example. Um, I'm going to show you where this was developed um, uh, in, in a way counter, a little bit counter to this psak, although he quotes it. And this is from one of my favorites farm, the Yamshul Shlomo. And it's based on this Gemara in Baba Kama. I talked before about not returning a lost object. The Mishnah in Baba Kama says that although clearly we are responsible for our animals' damages, right? Uh, we're responsible for what they do. Responsible for for controlling our animals and, and, and we pay for them. Now, What's interesting is that the Torah gives the animals that are meant to be docile, like oxen and others, the Torah gives a dispensation that you only have to pay 50% of the damage uh, the first three times. Afterwards, though, you have to realize you're dealing with an angry uh, ox or whatever it is, and because of that, you have to pay the full amount. Now, the Mishnah says that if it is a non-Jew who damages us, and even though we are in it's in our court systems, we make him pay the complete damage. We don't give him any 50% discount the first couple of times. We don't give him the same, which could be, it sounds like a, a moral dispensation because you didn't expect it to happen. No, no. 100% payment. Now, here's the killer, though. When we damage his animal, the Mishnah says, we don't pay anything. Now, obviously, if we're in their courts, that's not going to happen. But the Mishnah is talking about in a sort of a utopian world where, or even a time in Israel where many non-Jews accepted the mantle of what's called the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, and because of that, they were able to live there in a certain peace. If they happen to come into our courts, um, we're not, the judge will rule that you don't have to pay anything. No, it was your animal that damaged, wasn't you? Case dismissed. That is the the Mishnah. The Gemara wants to know why. The Gemara says, "Hey, I, I understand the Torah writes the word Reehu. It says Reehu. It uses that term, a reo, a friend, someone who you're in the same boat with. But if that's true, that that law doesn't apply about controlling your animals and paying for your animals, then he should be off the hook too. He shouldn't have to pay. So the Gemara gives a number of ant- Gemara gives two answers, which is based on actual. Uh, Amorayim suggested it. Further research showed it was a brisa. 
that said, based on uh, homiletical interpretations of Psukim, that said that God sort of was disappointed with the way the non-Jews had been acting. Um, and it says, um, what does that mean? That up, there was a certain point that natural law would have indicated that they're just like us, and especially in civil law, Jew and non-Jew should be treated the same. But then when, when it was seen that, hmm, they're not fulfilling them, the homiletical interpretation said God indicated that, no, that what's going to be? They don't, we don't have to worry about paying them anymore. Their money doesn't count in this situation and their ownership doesn't count. And we're going right now. Now that is, that is the, the Gemara. It sounds again, uh, it does not sound, uh, it's not the type, again, we're going to talk about it. It's exactly the issue I want to talk about. That's Rabbi mm-hmm. Bo, Rabbi Yochanan, that's the Brisa. Was um, it during a time when they were always, Against us, okay. Again, Sheila, the yeah. mish, you're correct, but again, you're already thinking like an apologist at this point, right? Um, yeah. Right now, um, no, I, I mean, I, I can understand the other way too. I'm just saying, was it in fact during a time when they were continually, um, you know, right? Good, the problem with this Gemara in some ways is. Was this a legislation? Clearly it was, but was it divinely inspired? Because if you take a look at the psukim that, that Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi bring, Amod v'yamodet aretz, Ra v'yitar goyim, it says, Amad v'hitter mamonam liyisrael. It sounds like, like we, we ascribe it to God, which is sort of like, you know, we take that Pusik and we use, we even use the Pusik from the Torah by, uh, you know, in, in the beginning of Zosa Brocha, Hofia Mahar Peron, he appeared. No, Hofia doesn't mean he appeared. It means he put it out in the open. He said, yeah, it's free for the taking. In this situation, the, Jew, the, 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 the non-Jewish monies don't register. They are able to, the Jews can not have to pay um, or they, they can take the complete amount from the non-Jews. Um, so they ascribe it to God, even. So you're right, Sheila. It could be this was that was a little bit of a uh, of hyperbole, because they needed to institute this because of specific um, frictions between what was going on in that time, and therefore, um, I, whether the ruling had practical application or not, whether they were actually you know not you know, shafting the non-Jew who would come into court with a, with a dead animal and say, I'm sorry, you don't have, we're not, right? Or it was only like in the books to sort of, to make a statement that, hey, if they're treating us like this, um, that's what we're going to treat towards them. It still got codified. And um, the Gemara actually is not afraid of this. And they know that this is something that, that that's going to cause conniptions to any, you know, rational, decent person who sees it, a decent non-Jew who sees it. And take a look at the following. The Brisa says, Kfar Malchus Romi. The Roman Empire sent Shnei 
sardiotos, Eitzel Chachme Yisrael. They sent these two sardiotos. Now, again, it's some sort of general, an official, a military person. And they sent them to the Chachme Yisrael. The Yishalmi says it was mostly Rebbe Gamliel. We'll see in a minute, though. Teach us your Torah. The 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 Gemara in Baba Kama and Laman Ches is worth quoting from. Karu v'shonu v'shilshu. They didn't just get a cursory reading. They studied it. It was in depth. They went over things. They actually got a good learning out of it. Bishas Petirosan when they were leaving. I don't know how long they stayed in the yeshiva. They said, We looked at your whole Torah, and it's true. Um, There's one thing we don't like. What is this going on with the Shor Yisrael, or Nochri? What's going on with this, 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 you taught us. You taught us that uh, this was one of the laws we learned with you. Why? We, you, you, you quoted that verse in, 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 in the book of Exodus, Re'eu, well, do we count or not? If we count, we should be part of, we should get the dispensation. If we don't count, then we shouldn't have to pay anything because who says we're responsible for when these docile animals injure at all? The next statement, Everything was good, but we're not going to say this over who are the people who sent us. We're not going to tell them about this. Um, Rashi already wonders, um, okay, they don't like this. Maybe we should explain it uh, because, you know, it had to do with some stuff. No, they didn't explain the reason. They didn't want to say that because you guys have not fulfilled your mitzvahs because of what's going on, that's sort of the reason why we're taking advantage here. It's sort of like a lesson that we think God wants you to learn. They didn't say that to them. So Rashi says, Mipnei So Rashi is sort of saying, you know, it's almost like, don't open that can of fish. Okay, I'm opening it, but I'm not explaining it. That's the way Rashi understood what happened. These people came to learn. They came as, according to Rashi, emissaries of the government to sort of study the Torah. But they, now this is really the subtlety. Instead of skipping this altogether or not mentioning it, what they did instead was teach it, but not say the reason which would make it even worse. Right? In other words, they left it, oh yeah. So instead... The, the, these these uh, officers said, look, I'm trying to be dispassionate about it, but it's illogical. In other words, why, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not even dealing with the, the anti-Gentile um, bias of it. It's just illogical um, because uh, either we should be off the hook or, you know, uh, right? uh, just uh, because the truth is that let's say an animal that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash uh, was injured. You're off the hook because it doesn't belong to a friend. It doesn't belong to an individual. And if the Beis HaMikdash's animal damages us, 
the same thing is true. Um, we don't owe money to the base Hamikdash. So the Gentiles were actually saying, why doesn't this align with the other law? It's inherently illogical and it's not consistent with what the law is among other uh, situations. But they didn't explain any further. So Rashi says they didn't do it because they didn't want the fear of, 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 of retribution. Now, um, Tosfus asks another question. He says, why did they even teach them? We know, despite the, the problems of teaching non-Jews because of these things that occur, there should be another problem that Gemara says that we don't teach the Torah to non-Jews. The Gemara Chagiga says that we say it in davening every day, right? Which means we don't give shiurim to non-Jews. We don't teach non-Jews. So Tosu says they had to. That they had to do because the Moshe was uh, demanding it. And as Tosu says, They couldn't say no. If they would say no, that might have been a death sentence right there. So they had to teach. Now, that's one answer of Tosus. The second answer of Tosus is, is that it was a subterfuge that was going on. That in this story, they didn't say who they were originally. They were sent as spies. But when they came originally, they said they would, li- they would like to convert. And Tosus says, if you look in the Sifrei, which has a version of the story, one of the halachic uh, medrashim, it says that they, these, it's clearly speaking about the same event, that they came under false pretenses. But they didn't discover that until the end. But that's, that is a second version. The version that Rashi, and the first answer of Tosu says, is that they came as emissaries of the non-Jewish world, and they, they did teach them, but this aspect of it was, so this lends us to um, the Marshall's question. Shomaluri asks the obvious question here, which is, why didn't they lie? About, instead of having this big hole about why is this even going on, why didn't they just skip this? or falsify it. I mean, they knew they were dealing with these non-Jewish officers who were going to listen intently to everything and absorb it and report back. Why didn't they just um, not, you know, why didn't they just not skip this or not say it? So from Luria, writing in the 16th century, uh, commenting on this Gemara, First of all, points to the fact that normally uh, you don't even teach Torah to non-Jews. Even if, in other words, if you remember Tosus, Tosus uses the words, they didn't have to die for it. So the first thing that Marshall says is that normally, even though it would make relations better, we don't teach Torah to them. Um unless we really see that we must. Tosus says they might have died had they not taught the Torah to them. Because the Tosus uses the words, limsoratzma, 
which is, which is sort of like shorthand for to die for it. So the marshal, first of all, it goes in a little bit of a tirade against Torah teachers to non-Jews. And he actually, and again, he was in Lithuania, he was in Lublin, um, which is now Poland, but he was part of what we call the Lithuanian-Polish uh, Renaissance of the uh, that incredible period. And he says, Those people that are living in the Spanish and North African areas and Eretz Yishmol that are teaching Torah to non-Jews. And they're getting paid for it. He says, that's very bad. And he says, you know why? Because by teaching Torah, you are strengthening Islam or Christianity. Because you're giving them, you know, and again, there are many people, Rabbi Vajas Farno and others, who were teachers of Torah to, uh, that's how they, they had their professions. And he says, doing that um, actually adds because then it's incorporated and it becomes part of the corpus of, uh, and it also is used in missionary activity. So the marshal is generally, he says, even if it gives you a better position, you have money, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place unless uh, the, the tea leaves say you're going to die or it's more than just the tea leaves. <laughs> right now. How about what if it's like to B'nai Noah or Goyim? So that's okay. Teaching them their own mitzvahs is, is, is fine. Mm-hmm. But to teach them our Torah, to teach them things that they don't really have to fulfill, and to teach them uh, psukim that, that they don't need to learn, say for Yeshaya, they don't need to learn any of that. Uh, almost. How about like ethics, things like that? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, according to Marshall, he says that look in Pirkeiavos; it's all meant for us. Right. That's, he says that's one of the reasons why the Torah Shabbat was not written down in order to keep it within the tribe and that it wouldn't be read. Now, therefore, he says, the marshal did not mince words. Those people who have, have a career and they make money out of it, they write books about it, it goes against what God wants. They, 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 their basic career is teaching non-Jews. Okay, he says they are that that Avera is too big, and he says Lo said they aren't even going to be part of the Geula when it happens, because what they've done is actually strengthened the control of the of the non-Jewish Christian Islamic world upon us, and they don't deserve to necessarily be part of the messianic redemption. Now, that's just something interesting. That's not what I'm after. What I'm after is the next part. What do you see here? The Osir Lishanos Divrei Torah. You can't tell them something that's not true, even though you're in a Sakona. And you have to die for it. Because remember what Tosu says? Tosu says that they, remember? Tosu says they better do it, otherwise we're going to kill you. So why, if they, were, if they realized what was happening, why did they let this information get out? Why didn't the Chachamim, why weren't they afraid that once this information goes out and then they're going to be on their way home, that this is going to end up starting a pogrom? Just like you saw from the beginning tshuva from Zilberstein, from Zilberstein about the doctor who decided, I'm not treating any Jews anymore. 
Well, these are agents of that country. Why weren't they worried about that retaliation? It's almost the worst thing to say. Yeah, okay, we, we don't have to pay, but you do. Shouldn't they be worried to come a shmodois for churvois to lefik minei? True, he lived in a golden period, but he knew Rafa about persecution. He knew about uh, uh, crusades. He knew about death, that and 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 all these other types of um, libels. Especially, the Gemara says it was talking about Rome, that is always called the Malchus Arishah. And later fused with the greater idea of Christianity, by the way. You know, again, it wasn't yet the Holy Roman Empire. It wasn't yet, it was at, at the time of the Gemara, they were clearly not Christians. But we know that uh, in, in, the, in the rabbinic later mind, Rome was always a standard for Christianity. Um, and therefore, even though it happened of Rome, you know, he's talking really in the prism of what he knew from, you know, Jewish-Christian relationships in the Middle Ages. What do you think the Romans wanted? What they wanted to do was to, to, to create whatever they can on, and here, of course, he means us. Our enemies means, it's another way of saying, us. That's all that they do. So what they should have done is lie. They should have said, you know what? They should have said, uh, uh, the Mishnah is that they pay just like us. Or, say, a non-Jew is off the hook, just like Hektish. What do you see? That's called dying for Kiddush Hashem. And if you change it, you're Kofri B'Torah's Moshe. Now, this is incredible. This is saying that once you're in this position, you need to say the truth, and if you don't, you can't falsify the Torah, even though there's no myth for them to learn the Torah. But now that you're, you're forced to teach them, and you have the right to teach them, you need to tell them what is true. And the Marshal says, if they, if they came as observers and critics, they were probably asking on every single did. They were probably wondering about all the laws. Again, not Akum, not Mitzri, Nochri. That was the text. Someone who's not a Jew. And they could have just said the truth. They could have lied. They said the truth, Al-Kadusha Sashem. Why? Because you can't get out of that. You need, if, the, if you're learning with him, you tell the truth. You don't falsify it. You say it despite the consequences. Now, the Marshal has a question on this principle from the famous Septuagint story. Now, you know about that, of course, uh, where um, the king decided that uh, he wanted to have a translation of the Torah, Talmi, and uh, he took the 72 Zikadim in Alexandria, and he put them all in separate rooms, and they were all expert translators. And it turned out that they all translated and changed various, uh, the exact translations into translations that were more in line with um, 
something that wouldn't be upsetting. In other words, instead of saying Bereshus Baro Lakim, they translated it that God created in the beginning, instead of the idea that time seems to be independent, and other many, many changes that were made. Now, what right did they have to change it? They were forced to translate it. They should translate it accurately. You know, damn the consequences. But that's but, different. Because that's, that is a translation can be argued that there's, you know, every translation is a commentary. In. Right, right. Which is, yeah, but obviously had they not needed to, Sheila, it would, it would have been translated right. differently. Right. So the Marshal says, well, the fact was, if you look at the Gemara, and the marshal here is reading the Gemara very literally, that God put into their hearts to say, to write this. And it was sort of like a miracle. So the marshal takes it very literally, that it's almost like each one of those scholars got a message from God. Write this. And it turned out they all were the same. Every translation was exact and matched. That's what the Gemara in Megillah says. So, so the Marshall's first answer is, well, of course, in certain cases, God can change it. God says, no, normally you have to be 100% truthful. But here, it was a special prophecy telling you to change. The other answer the Marshall says, and this is, I think, where you were going, Sheila, on this, that they didn't change the actual meaning. They, what they did was they, they changed the words from the Torah into Greek. They didn't necessarily change a halacha. They just uh, uh, gave forth a translation that wouldn't lead to the type of uh, perceptions that would have been negative. Um, um, as if that's what the Pusik might mean in the simple pshat. We do the same thing often. Many times we know, you know, like for example, you know, um, uh, when it talks about tefillin. Now we know the simple shot is, is that these words should be on your hands as if it's so strong and, and, and part of your life. That's the simple shot in the Pasek, right? So you have a right to, to do that, right? You have a right to teach the Pashib Shat without the Chazal. If someone says, can you translate that to me? Okay. And it should be, so, so a non-Jew who reads it doesn't say, oh, there's phylacteries. That's the, those are those boxes. So you're allowed to be Mefarish a Pusik according to Pshat. But to say that you know your putter, you know that when, when the non-Jewish animal gets damaged, that the Jew is off the hook to say, no, you have to pay, or the opposite, that is being kofir b'toras Moshe. So, this marshal is uh, quite powerful, and it really sets up a new model of something that was, and he seems to have a nice proof that, you, that it's almost like a Kiddush Hashem when you're in that situation that you must be truthful. It's better not to be in that situation if you don't have to. But once you're there, you have the responsibility to 
be the agent of God. Right. But would there be a way of explaining it? So you're, you're not, you are explaining it um, correctly, but you're also giving the swara behind it. Let, for instance, like all, all Jews are one and we're all connected to Hashem. So our money is really Hashem's, you know, it's all connected and, and the guy, you know, to take. Okay. So yes and no. Kind of more mystical ideas behind it. Well, okay. So first of all, I, 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 I clearly, um, you can, you can definitely try. And, and, and I think the main thing is, and you're right, Sheila, what the Marshal was talking about is the did. You cannot falsify the did. Now, there might be a hundred rationales. What you said makes sense. Uh, Rashi says they just stayed away from it because they figured, look, anything we say is not going to work. By the way, the Yershalmi says that, that, that God, again, usually the Yershalmi does not, um, employ these uh, miraculous devices. But the Yashalmi says that on their way back to Rome, but they were traveling, it happened they forgot everything that they learned. Uh, and the Yashalmi actually has a much bigger list, uh, which I want to share, share with you. The Yashalmi gives us a real, a much further um, description, the Yashalmi and Babakama. It says the idea that uh, a, 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 a woman should not be a midwife for a non-Jew. A, a woman should not be a midwife. Uh, a woman, a Jewish woman, should not be a wet nurse for a, a non-Jewish uh, child. What else? That basically stealing from a Jew is verboten, from a non-Jew is allowed. Um, the Gemara says that Rav Gamliel at that moment made Xera <laughs> about stealing. <laughs> so that got off the books. Um, and included in that was also the din about the ox. So it really, there's a, a number of halachos which, which are very, very dangerous. And the Yashalmi says when they got to Salma de Tzur, which was the footsteps of, 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 of by Tyre, which I guess was on their way to Rome, they forgot everything, which which sort of like according to seemingly that was a, a miracle, although the Yashalmi doesn't say it was a miracle, but it sounds like a miraculous thing. So there's plenty in the Torah that's anti-Christian, anti, anti-non-Jew. And the Marshal says that we have a responsibility once we're there to be honest and teach it. Now, can we sweeten it? Can we just not explain it? Clearly, that's what they did. Can we say it in a different way? But now it really begs the question about, uh, because this happens a lot. Um, so let us take a look at a um, another halacha that's very similar. And that is somebody who's in a court case. Now, this is about teaching Torah as a representative of, of Jews. What about among Jews themselves? Okay. The Torah says that one of the things Moshe told the, um, Moshe told the, uh, uh, the judges that were suggested by Yisro was that, um, Lo Do not be afraid. 
What do you have to do? Well, soccer upon him, but said a tishbot. Okay. What did that mean? Lo soguru. So the Chazal say that Shematomar, Misyorani Miploni, Shemiyaro Gizbani. I've got a real tough guy. <laughs> right? I got Tony Soprano in court. Right? I don't know what's going to happen. If I rule against him in this multi-million dollar case, I ain't going to see my son. Shemiyadlik is Godishi. All my um, properties and everything that I've done in the farms this whole year, the, the, everything that we've brought through, my whole uh, Parnassa is going to go up in flames. Or maybe my Natios, the trees that I plant that, that provide uh, uh, food and sustenance for my family, it's, I'm going to f- discover in the morning they've all been cut down. So therefore what? Talmud Lomar lo seguru mipneish. You have to go and do it anyway. Now, what's you see the parallel, I hope. Here you are um, in this situation where you know the law. You hear the case. You now need to move forward, issue that judicial ruling, despite the consequences. You can't allow the fear that you have to bottle you up. Even though there's a, we're dealing with a tough guy. Now, that is the second piece here in the Sifre. The piece right before that, though, take a look. The piece right before that says, She'im, it says here, that let's say, if two come to you, you do have a right before you hear what they say to say, no, I don't want to deal with this case. Or let's say you hear the case, but you haven't thought about it well enough to formulate in your mind which way it's going. What do you have a right to do? You have a right to lishtok, to say, I don't want to be in this case. Now, so it sounds like, again, now, is this a, a similar idea? Here, well, let me explain it better. Once it starts, though, however, the process is there. We're, we're not ignorant of the realities. I don't want to get involved in this case. This guy, this is going to end up having consequences for me and my family. This guy is a tough guy. He might decide to, to beat me up, to hurt me. I, I, I don't want to be in this case. But once you're there and you're sitting there and you hear it and you're already part of the halachic process as a judge, then you have to see it through. Even seemingly to the point of it could end up hurting you. You could end up with your child dead. That's what it sounds like. At least that's what you're thinking. So, is this an example of the same principle or not? So, the post can actually discuss this. We don't have a, a lot of time left. 
But the poskim actually discuss this. And Rabbi Yonason Ibeshitz, one of the great um, Rosh Hashivas, but who wrote an important book on Shulchan Aruch called the Urim Betumim, says the following. So here is the Shulchan Aruch, Simen Yud Beis and Choshen Mishpat. Again, the two people are here. One is a, uh, one is Wally Cox. The other is uh, Gandolfini, Echad Kasha. So, uh-oh. Before anything starts, you could say, because you're worried that you're going to have to find Galnafini uh, or, or Soprano guilty. And what's going to happen? He's going to come after you. He's going to do whatever he can to make your life miserable. But once you're already involved and your brain is thinking, you become a judicial mind and you can't say it. Now, the Rambam adds what's codified here. If you are a Mamuna Larabim, though, in other words, many times judges didn't have an official position. You know, you know how to learn. Can you be my judge? But here, what we're talking about, let's say someone is officially appointed and he has been decided to judge these cases. So Shulchan Aruch says that even though he knows that this is going to, you know, he's going to rule against the strong man, right? He's going to rule against Trump. Who knows, right? He's going to be ruling in a situation where, uh-oh, where's this going to go? You need to be involved. There you don't have the right to recuse yourself. You've got to be involved. Um, now, Rav Yonason Ivishitz writes, quoting our Sifre that I just mentioned, that... He says, what about the fact, he says, um, he mentions here that what about the fact that it's really clear the guy is going to hurt you? He says, that's only before you've started. It can't be because you're scared that you stop. And even if it's Yarog, even if it turns out the chances of you dying are very strong, Ain Lasalik. Now, that's a very strong statement. And how could it even be true? Well, let's let's differentiate this from the case of the Marshal. Is a Psak Torah? Is a Psak Din Torah? Torah is sort of like not particular to your case. It's what's in the law. It's the will of God, the way it has been developed. That's the Torah. You can't falsify that. But maybe every case is different. Now, obviously, if they if they agreed to rule based on arbitration or something like that, you might have a right to pass against someone. But if what they are asking to be ruling on is the rule of the law, then it would seem to align with what the marshal was saying. Now that I'm the judge, I am supposed to tell you the law and and we're going to relate the law. You could disagree and say, it's not really, even though I might, in this case, this is the way you're going to rule, that might not be because this is the Torah. 
it could be the Torah is what's in the book, is what's in the Constitution. But every individual case isn't necessarily a part of Torah itself. That's a subtle distinction. But that is a way to draw a difference. Well, if that difference is true, why does the judge need to rule on the case and, and, and let the process continue, even though it's going to result in harm? So Rabbi Sirkish says, the reason is, is because there's something bigger than you. And that is the society. If a judge can be compromised because of Sopranos, then there is no justice. And even though that justice might, the Bach says, might have a case of, normally say, well, you don't have to give up your life for only the three Averos, right? Where do you see you have to give up your life for, for, for judging properly? Why can't you judge improperly and then maybe pay the, the guy who, pay, the, pay, pay Wally Cox? Look, you know that if you rule against Sopranos, you're going to be finished. So you know what? Rule for him and, 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 and somehow make, up, make it up. One, it's your life. Do you have to die? So the box says yes. The, and the box says something which has been rejected. But it's basically based on the idea, because he says, if not, there is no justice. Because if you knuckle under, then it, the whole system starts to crumble. And there is no system even though it might result in someone who's a martyr for the system. Because in a way, that person is dying for, if it has to happen, for the sake of the greater good. Now, that is an extreme way of understanding it. There are others that say, however, that the cases that I just said is what's in your mind. You suspect it. But it's not really there. It is a possibility. But it's not like a gun to your head. It's not sakonos nefoshos mamish. Remember, remember the language of the sifrei. You will say he's going to do this and that. There might be gradations. Are you dealing with a guy who has done it before? You know he's going to be injurious, or you're just worried what it might might happen. We've been talking a lot during Corona, the difference between a clear and present danger right here or something down the road. It might be the judge only has to continue if there's the possibility of danger. But if it's really there, if it's there in a real strong percentage, it isn't just bluster, we're going to do this, I'll do this and that then you could remove. And this is the psaac of Rav Waldenberg. Rav Waldenberg, Rav Lesiuda Waldenberg says that uh, he, he disagrees and he says there's sources against Rav Yenus and Ayavishitz and say that even if, if you become aware of a clear and present danger, you have the right to actually rule <laughs> with against what you know is the truth in order to save yourself. If it's only a possibility that you're worried about, so then you're right. Then you then you need, you're in this, you need to uh, go all the way. But a clear and present danger where it's clear it's going to happen, you don't have to martyr yourself 
over that. That is what Rav Waldenberg says, and that is seemingly in Rabbi Yaakov Reicher, 300 years ago, seems to say that as well. Despite the fact that Rabbi Yonis and Ivishitz quotes it, a careful looking at the source indicates there's a difference between pachad, fear, and it actually being there. Again, the Bach, however, and Rabbi Yonis and Ivishitz feel that even if it's uh, uh, it's going to happen, you die for um, you know for for the greater cause, because if people don't stand up, then there is no justice. Which again, it does, does it has a, quite a bit of relevance, I think, uh, to many of the things that that we've been talking about in, in the American political sphere and in our situation. Um, the um, obviously this this to end and and and, and I. Apologies, I know Sheila has heard this already before, but this question doesn't have to be on in the most radical way. Uh, this question can also be um, spoken about about in general teaching uh, to, to to people who aren't religious and not necessarily teaching them everything. Uh, in one of our other shiurim, we talked about uh, the question that was asked to uh, Rav Salman Nehemiah Goldberg which was there was a, a woman who, who came to a Kala teacher in Israel and, and mentioned that, you know, clearly that she was not going to keep the laws of Taras HaMishpocha if it was going to be all these detailed things that she'd heard about, but she'd been somehow, um, you know, not coerced, but uh, she's going to go learn about it. So the question was, could that teacher sort of not teach her everything? Can the teacher, even if it's not a Roman uh, with a gun to your head, but it's just someone that you know you're getting involved with. Do you have a right to falsify information? Do you have a right to say, okay, these are the laws of Nida and leave out the ones that you're worried are going to cause them to reject the whole thing? They're already telling you that they're not ready to accept a strictness. So maybe, Rev, Rev Goldberg was asked, teach the girl maybe just the law of the Torah, what Nida is. Now, she's going to violate the rabbinical law. She'll go to the mikvah before most women will. But but there won't be a chi of kares on her. She will at least have some sort of tyrus on mishpacha. Do you have a right to give over the Torah in a way that it perhaps is not reflective of the real truth? Again, what we talked about in Babakama is a rabbinical, post-biblical explanation about damages. And the marshal says, you got to be honest and say everything. Would that also be true here? And Rav Zalman Nechemia says that, hmm, he doesn't necessarily think that one needs to tell them everything in such a strong way. He's worried about the fact that, you know, you know, th- th- there should be a uniformity in teaching. It can't be that this person hears this and then he goes online and he sees all the laws of Nida, which are different. So Rav, Rav Zalman Chemia suggested that what instead should happen is that you teach and say, this is the Torah. Now, this is what the rabbis said afterwards. And the, the teacher clarifies that at every step of the way, then that would be all right. Now, 
again, I take it very seriously because you know the marshal has still really extracted an idea of what we are. And you don't have to be a Rav Gamliel. You don't have to be a great Torah teacher. You can just be someone who is approached by someone who knows less. And you become a Malamed, like God. Rav Salvechik taught us that all of us are the Malamed Torah of Chol Yisrael. God, is the, as Birch HaTorah, is the Malamed Torah. But we become God's emissaries whenever we teach Torah to people. And what's, we have a responsibility to, to put, to say it correctly, especially if we know it's right. Is there a little bit of room to, to obviously, if you know the person is going to reject it? So again, I think this is a very a nuanced question. And I think, I, I think you do have a right to emphasize certain interpretations if you think that isn't going to do the best and not alienating the person and you're not falsifying the Torah. But to actually falsify the law, that's something that 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 is is is, is difficult. Rav Zalman said, even the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, when he was trying to be Makariv people in in, in Europe, uh, a number of shipping magnates in the city of Mamal, originally when he taught the laws of Shabbos, he said, I understand that you you have to unload the ship. I understand that you have to load the ship. I understand. I'm not telling you to stop going to the to your business and and cutting off all business, but do you have to write of all the numbers down? What he was trying to do was stop them from the worst avera. And he, in fact, what he's indicating that, from his perspective, you are allowed to have shipping going on. You're allowed to have ships go into port and load and unload. But writing is usher, because Rabbi Sol Salanta felt that's the crack. I can get them to accept that. And little by little, you can become a different type of teacher as that person becomes more able to understand. So this, I think, could indicate that maybe the marshal's um, statement wasn't necessarily practiced so completely. And there were many teachers who recognized the need, especially when they're dealing with other Jews, to and, and to, to to formulate laws in a way that did sort of you know, did sort of skirt the truth, in order to get them to a different place. And, you know, it's hard to um, you know it's hard to uh, to necessarily always follow in that path. But I think you know this is a, this is a question. That, that nuance is important. We have a heady responsibility when people come to us to learn Torah or, we, or they give us the opportunity to speak about Torah and speak about what we represent. And we have to be careful um, to, to realize that we are God's agents, but yet we can't do it in a way where, especially in a world of today, where everything that we say is scrutinized, where it will come back and ricochet against us. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.